welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this week we are here to study with you in, well, the rest of the Doctrine and Covenants studies. This is going to be our last episode for the year, which we're excited about. Um, We're really excited for this study. It's a very fitting capstone to what has been our study in the Doctrine and Covenants this year. And the next couple of studies in Come Follow Me are focused on different um, revelations that have been received. In this episode, we're going to focus on revelation and hopefully provide you a lens of study that will carry you through the next month and uh, give you some interesting insights into the these particular scriptures that we're studying. As we began preparing for this week's episode and the rest of the episodes for this for this year, for December, we just felt like everything kind of tied together. And I think for us, as we prepare for the Old Testament in January, which we are so, so excited about, um, the break felt like a good break. And I also think, I don't know, to me, December is just this month of discovery and joy and Christmas. And you probably have tons of other things to listen to and study. And so we hope that you can use this bit of what we share tonight as just maybe the beginning of a really lovely, wonderful Christmas holiday season, which hopefully you've already had the start to with Thanksgiving. And um, anyway, go listen to either the Polar Express soundtrack for 30 minutes or just some classic (laughs) like Bing Crosby and That'll be a good way to fill the 30-minute time that you need to Some good with soul us. food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, I guess, fitting connection in this episode is we want to focus on revelation. I read this quote quite a while ago and then reread it recently. This is from uh, President Faust in 1976, and he talks about returning from some countries where he saw billboards and signs that memorialized revolution in the country. And uh, he returns home and he says this, in the world, I think we need fewer revolutions and more revelations. And as we've thought about what 2021 has been, especially on the heels of 2020, It has been a year of revolution, of significant change in the way that we live our personal lives, the way that we live our social lives, the way that we interact in church and in our communities. However, our study of the Doctrine and Covenants has been focused on revelations, predominantly revelations that have come to and through the prophet Joseph Smith. But there's been an undercurrent as we've studied the different revelations that have come to the prophet Joseph Smith and how they apply to us, there's been an undercurrent uh, that we have sensed that has focused our attention on not just what was revealed, but how it was revealed. The situations in which these revelations came have been really interesting to us this season, and we've talked a lot about them in our podcast this season. The context, the stories, the wrestles, the struggles, the humanity of what was happening. And so it's been fascinating not just to read the Doctrine and Covenants in a vacuum where we read the words on the page, um, but where we read them as 
well as we can in the context that they were given and understand that these answers came to real life questions, that these revelations came to real life seekers. And so as we've studied all of that, we looked at the next couple of episodes and this week we've got section 137, which is a revelation to Joseph Smith on life after death. Section 138, which is a revelation to his nephew, Joseph F. Smith, on life after death. Official Declaration 1 to Wilford Woodruff about plural marriage. Official Declaration 2 to Spencer W. Kimball about race and the priesthood. Uh, The Proclamation of the World on the Family to President Hinckley. And the Articles of Faith to Joseph Smith. Multiple, multiple revelations. And of course, we have an ongoing list of revelations that have come since then. Instructions and uh, policies and practices and guidance. And as we've thought through all of that... um, we, we just have been impressed with um, not just the content of the revelations, but the process of revelation. Well, in this season, I shouldn't say season, this year's study of the Doctrine and Covenants has really, like Zach mentioned earlier, it's really this began with revelation and what that looks like. Our studies that we did in the beginning of the year were all about this Joseph Smith and him receiving the first revelations and the first vision. And I think that all of this is kind of built off this. So this really felt like the perfect capstone to a season learning about the languages of revelation. How does revelation come? How do we receive personal revelation? And how do we receive revelation that comes from the church or comes from a prophet? And so we're really looking forward to this study today um, to dig into that a little more. So for this next next month of your study, as we look at the revelations and the proclamations and the declarations of all of these upcoming weeks, um, the question that we wanted to ask is, how can I receive more revelation? And there's so many answers to this, and I think that hopefully this opens up something for you um, this Christmas season. But I wanted to start first with um, the Articles of Faith, because one of the things that has impressed me in the last few years, as we have seen a lot of changes and, um, I don't know, just that undercurrent of things happening in the church, and I really have loved the idea of Article of Faith 9. We believe all that God has revealed all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And I think that this can be really exciting and also a little bit scary. (laughs) I think my part of me loves the idea of this new and exciting revelation to come and that things are going to change and grow. And, but also part of me is scared because I like the idea of being able to predict things and knowing what's going to happen. But that is unfortunately not the way the world is, right? Um, So I just love the idea of knowing and expecting things to change and come and grow. Um, Not only for me personally, but I think the church as well. I think that's insightful too, because what you're pointing at is not just that we believe what's said in revelations or what comes via revelation to us 
we believe in the very reality of Revelation. It's one thing to look at the sections in the Doctrine and Covenants or to read General Conference or to read the Articles of Faith and say, yes, I believe the things that are taught there. It's another thing to say, I believe in a God who reveals things like that to people. And that's a powerful foundation to start um, or to, to undergird, as you said, our question of how do I receive more revelation, the belief that revelation comes in mm -hmm. the first place. And I think I, I love this in that as we think of it that way. Um, we could put it simply and just say what you said, Zach. We believe in revelation. We believe that things come from God. And he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I think believe that that is part, that is in part you. It's part your personal growth. It's partly that kingdom of God includes you and your, um, your life. And he cares about that. And then the second part of the articles of faith generally is what we alluded to a little bit already as we've talked about this, but that idea of all of these articles of faith beginning with we believe, we believe, we believe. I won't read it all the times, but you get the idea. All of the articles of faith as we talk about this belief, I think that revelation, how can I receive more revelation? Not only recognizing that we we believe in revelation, but that we believe. We believe that revelation can happen for us. We believe that there's a God uh, in heaven up above that who's who cares about who we are and about where we're headed. And he cares about the problems that you have, or he cares about maybe some of the um, hard things that you're not sure about, or your uncertainties with faith, with your challenges with life. Um, but starting out, I, I really love the idea of, for me, when I forget things that it always comes back to this belief is that I believe. And for me, that helps me to answer that question is how can I receive more revelation? Maybe even when I don't feel very powerful or ready, um, I can start with something because I believe. Because sometimes, especially in the language that we often use in the church, we use that idea of that we know things and that we have to have this certainty. But I think that this teaches us in the Articles of Faith that belief can be small, but it's some place to start. Well, I like that as a good starting place for revelation, belief in the very reality of revelation. In section 138, uh, that's always been a fascinating section to me because not only is it a landmark revelation on the Savior's ministry in the spirit world and what life is like there, but it's, I think, an insightful declaration because it's a prophet outlining the very process he went through to receive the revelation. And so for me, as excited as I am to read the revelation itself, I've always been drawn more to the sort of preamble where President Smith identifies what he was doing in the order he was doing it to receive the revelation that he received. Um, now, when you study this, you'll find many different things in there. I have every time I come to it, I find something different. One that I found this time is he mentions in three different places interacting with the scriptures, actually four different places interacting with the scriptures. 
before he ever opens the scriptures in verse 6, when he says he opened the Bible and read, he does three things to prepare for that scripture reading experience. Verse 1, on the third day of October in the year 1918, I sat in my room pondering over the scriptures. In verse 2, reflecting upon the great atoning sacrifice that was made by the Son of God for the redemption of the world. And then in verse 5, while I was thus engaged, my mind reverted to the writings of the Apostle Peter, pondering, reflecting, and reverting before he ever opens the Bible and reads. And I'm sure in your study, you could identify the difference between those three. I haven't gone deep enough into that yet with my, uh, with my own thoughts to know. But what struck me most is just the fact that this prophet is putting uh, a mental and emotional and a spiritual effort into the process of revelation. I think um, growing up, for me at least, I always assumed that God instigated the revelatory process, especially with prophets. When he had something to say, he would call the prophet up on the phone and he would deliver the revelation. But this shows an insight that prophets instigate revelation in much the same way that we ourselves instigate revelation, which makes sense. God honors our agency and a lot of times can only give blessings such as revelation uh, contingent upon the use of our agency. And so there has to be an initial exertion of action or faith on our part before God can respond with revelation or insight on his part. And so I loved that uh, a prophet is taking the initiative. Now, as I looked a little bit at the background, uh, this is 1918. And here's what's going on in 1918. First of all, just a few years previous to this, 1915, President Smith's wife, Sarah, died. Then in the beginning of 1918, his son Hiram dies. In February, he has a son-in-law that dies. In September... His son Hiram's wife, Ida, dies. And uh, all of this is on the heels of World War I and a flu epidemic that have caused millions of deaths worldwide. And so even though he doesn't specifically spell out what he's thinking about, which also, by the way, in a month after this, President Smith himself will die. He passes away in November of 1918. Um, even though he doesn't spell out specifically what's on his mind, you have to assume that that's what he's pondering or reflecting as he comes to the scriptures, and especially as he's studying sections specifically related to the spirit world. He's coming to them with questions, with his own relevant personal questions in mind. And as we've studied the Doctrine and Covenants this year, my experience has been when I take my own humanity, my own pains, my own struggles and wrestles to the scriptures, uh, that's often when I experience the clearest revelation from God. Uh, it's as if he takes my experience, inserts it into the scriptures, and then I read what the Lord says to them as if he's saying it to me. And so I think one important step to receiving more revelation is putting a little bit more into the revelatory process or putting it more often into the revelatory process. Before you read scriptures, ponder, reflect, revert. Think about your life and think about what places in scripture might mirror what's going on in your life and then go there and read what the Lord said or what he did and what came to those individuals to see if it might reflect what comes to you in your own life. 
And then as you do that, in verse 11, he says, As I pondered over these things which were written, the eyes of my understanding were opened, and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon me, and I saw, which is the same word that Joseph Smith uses in 137 repeatedly, and then in verse 15, I beheld, which is another word that Joseph Smith uses for revelation. So, to see and behold requires some work um, on our part. Well, it's interesting, Zach, that you would focus on that personal side of Revelation, because something that I've been thinking about with all of this, especially this year, as we've studied a lot of this more prophetic Revelation, um, and as a missionary, I taught this, and it was very clear to me, but this year, as we've studied, I haven't been as clear on the role of a prophet in the Revelation process. What I... I had on as a missionary, which many of you probably had had this same diagram or you've seen it, but it's the triangular shape of we have us on earth and we have a prophet on earth and then we have God up above and he talks to both of us and, you know, the prophet communicates to us, God communicates here. Anyway, I thought it was a really clever and also very clear, but I think that those lines aren't as clear. And what is really the role of a prophet in the whole revelation process? Because do I do I get revelation that doesn't necessarily match up with what the prophet's saying? Or does all of those things? Yeah. And I think that some of these these things that we're studying, the manifesto and some of these harder things really kind of cause friction with this question of where does my revelation come into that? Yeah, well, and it's, that's definitely been a theme of our study this year. And as you mentioned, exemplified in our study this week, that, um, of course, our own ability to communicate with God and to hear his communications to us is not perfect. But neither is the prophetic line of communication to God. Um, that's not to say that prophets are in error but it is to say that they, like us, learn line upon line, that they, like us, are, or it's revealed to them like it is to us, um, here a little and there a little. And as you read in that article of faith, we believe that God has yet to reveal many great things pertaining to the kingdom. And as we understand that all of us, prophets included, um, are developing in our ability, even President Nelson, I think, has been... Uh, such a fabulous example of this in describing his own growth as a 90-year-old, 90-plus-year-old apostle. He is very open about his own growth and development as a disciple, which is just refreshing to see that our prophet is growing and developing in his ability to communicate with God. Now, to the question, though, of where do prophets fit in with our own personal revelation, that's a fascinating one. Uh, as we studied this week, and one of the thoughts that came to mind as you were drawing that little triangle in the air was, in fact, the idea that um, information, truth, is often more reliable when it's triangulated. In other words, if one person tells me a detail, uh, I can choose to believe or disbelieve it. But if that detail comes from multiple sources, the more sources I hear it, the more reliable that information is. And I think revelation works the same. If our only connection to God was our personal connection, where he speaks to us, uh, then we would be left 
to determine truth, global truth and personal truth, only based on personal feelings and ideas, which I don't know if anyone else is the same way as me, but I have a hard time making sense of my thoughts and feelings. But luckily, we don't have that. We have scriptures, which are another source of truth that helps us to pinpoint what that uh, particular thought or feeling might be. And of course, we are very blessed to have modern prophets, apostles, and church leaders, all of whom can help triangulate a particular truth. And so I think one answer to the question of where do prophets fit is they help us to triangulate truth as prophets speak together with ancient uh, prophets and in conjunction with what the spirit itself directs to us we're able to identify truths that are important of course there are times when those three different places don't seem to be in harmony in my experience they are always in harmony with the things that matter most and the things that I should be spending my time focusing on. Um, I know that I'm getting probably off into the weeds a bit of studying a particular truth or an idea when I start to see see, uh, gaps in one of those sources of information. That lets me know I think I'm a little bit outside here. But for me, that's one place that prophets at least fit into my own personal revelatory relationship. Well, and I think you brought up an important piece of that, that I forgot that maybe I had a little, you know, cool little piece to my puzzle, but that um, ancient scripture and the the idea of scripture as a piece of that revelation process as well. Yeah, this is just an example. Um, This is when Alma's talking to Korhor and Korhor tells him, I want a sign to prove that there's a God. And Alma says, you've had signs enough. And then he lists the triangulation, or in this one, I think it's a quadrangulation, I don't know if that's a word, of revelation. He says, will you say, show unto me a sign when you have had, one, the testimony of all these thy brethren, two, and also all the holy prophets, three, the scriptures are laid before thee, yea, and four, all things denote there is a God, yea, even the earth and all things that are upon the face of it, and the motion and the planets which move in their regular form do witness that there is a supreme creator. He's pointing out you have four different sources telling you the same truth, that there is a God who moves and governs the world. And I think that's Alma's understanding that truth comes through the mouth of multiple witnesses, uh, the spirit, the scriptures, and prophetic utterances. Which I think connects to something that I noticed, or at least another principle that I noticed in my study this week. Um, the official declarations are fascinating to me, and I think it's, um, I think it's, I don't know, indicative of the character of our church that we put two of the most difficult and somewhat controversial topics in our church history in our canonized book of scripture that we hand out to anyone free of charge. Uh, Official Declaration 1, the Manifesto on Plural Marriage, and Official Declaration 2, the Revelation on Race and the Priesthood. In a sense, these are two declarations that we as a church understand that God is yet revealing many great and important things, that he is helping us to learn and to grow and understand his will and his kingdom better. What's interesting to me, though, is in both places, there is a principle I notice somewhat tucked away in not the declarations themselves, but in some of the complementary material after them. So 
after official declaration one, there's that little excerpt from President uh, from Lorenzo Snow, member of the First Presidency, but not prophet yet. But he moves in general conference that the assembled accept his declaration, meaning Milford Woodruff's declaration, concerning plural marriages as authoritative and binding. Then in official declaration two, um, there's the motion that uh, this revelation through President Smith, read by N. Eldon Tanner, uh, is likewise uh, moves that we accept this revelation as the word and will of the Lord. It it was interesting to me to notice that same word used in both places, that part of the revelatory process isn't just hearing what prophets say to us, but accepting. And I don't think I fully understand yet the depth of that word. Um, as maybe a side point, at the end of the Book of Mormon in Moroni chapter 10, Moroni uses the word receive twice. In verse 3, he uses the word receive, and in that context, it seems he's talking about after you receive these things, meaning after you're given a copy of what it is that I'm writing, then, and he spells out what he wants you to do with it. That's the first use of the word receive. But then he uses it again in verse 4. And after you have received these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God in the name of Christ. And that word receive, I don't think is the same as the first word receive. I don't think it means after you've been given a copy of the Book of Mormon. I think it means after you have done the spiritual work to wrestle with what the book teaches. In verse 3, he tells us we need to read what's written and ponder and think about what it teaches us. I think the word receive in verse 4 means, at least in some part, to accept. To take what I've read and uh, insert it, apply it into my life, maybe even to begin acting on it and living it a bit. And then once I've done that, then I will start to be in a position where I can pray and ask God if it's true and it'll be manifest to me. I kind of think there's that's the same process that these two counselors are describing in these official declarations. When we hear something from a prophet, uh, simple passive reception isn't the same, I think, as a willful, uh, a willful exertion of agency to accept what the prophets teach, uh, to um, apply them to our lives and to live based on what we're hearing. That takes a lot of faith. And as you mentioned at the beginning, it takes a lot of belief. But I think that's a crucial part of receiving ongoing revelation. So with all of those ideas in mind of how we, th some ideas that we thought of, of how you can receive more revelation through this study, um, and through the upcoming weeks, as we finish out this study of Doctrine and Covenants, um, our, I guess, our invitation to you is to look out for it. Look out for ways that you can look for examples of revelation in the scriptures. Maybe how you've seen prophets of the past receive revelation and connect it to you. Maybe you've had a similar experience or you've seen that happen. Um, and then look for it in your own life and look to see how you God has spoken to you, how you've received revelation and how it's made you feel. I think for me most recently, some of that has, has come up for me that I have been given those small glimpses of 
reminders that God is mindful of me. And I think that those can be really powerful, not only to seek for, but also to remember those experiences that you've had in the past. And especially as we head into this this holiday season of hopefully for you of warmth and light and love as you seek more to find Jesus Christ to remember him this season, to be grateful like we just were um, with our Thanksgiving. And what better time is there to try and put God in your life and to remember that he really is seeking you, hopefully just as much as you're seeking him. So with all of that, we are going to end our study of the Doctrine and Covenants this year um, with some excitement because we are taking the month of December off and focusing on um, this wonderful holiday season and also with much anticipation for the study of the Old Testament. I think we can both say that as we started this idea of our podcast four years ago, um, we've officially done four seasons of this epi- of weekly episodes, um, we have looked forward to studying the Old Testament since the since the beginning. And so we look forward to being back with you. I think we I lied when I said we won't be back in December because I think our first episode will air just before the new year um, with our first study of the Old Testament. And we look forward to being there then. Until then, um, we wish you a Merry Christmas and we'll be back for the new year. Thank you so much for studying with us this year in the Doctrine and Covenants, and we look forward to studying with you again next year. Merry Christmas. Goodbye.